This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.com. As the kids are going to their classes, I would invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 7 for our Old Testament text. Isaiah 43. And then after that, we will turn to our sermon text in Hebrews chapter 10. But first, Isaiah 43, 1 through 7. Hear now the word of the Lord. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And now Hebrews chapter 10, where we will continue our sermon series through Hebrews. Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 19. says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Good morning, First Prize. Excited to be with you as we get to continue in Hebrews, and we now come to a very pivotal passage in the sense of a, a transition. We go from all the theology of the last nine and a half chapters, and now we come to the application of what does all this mean? What does all of this mean for our lives? And before we dive into that answer, let's take a moment and just uh, ask the Lord to bless the time we have here. Father in heaven, as we 
gather in your house on your day, as we sit under your word, we pray, Lord, that we would bring you glory. We pray that our hearts would be softened and that, Lord, we would be molded and formed into the image of your beloved Son. We thank you, Lord, for the good news of the gospel, which we hear regularly. We thank you for the reminder of the truths of the gospel that, yes, in fact, we are sinners in need of a Savior, but you have not abandoned us. You have given us your very own Son. We're thankful that Christ took on human flesh and he dwelt amongst us and he lived a sinless life so that he could go to a cross we personally deserve because of our sin. And we're thankful that Christ took our sin and nailed it there. In exchange, he gave us his righteousness. We're thankful, O Holy Spirit, that you've come and applied that work of Christ to our life. Thankful for the empowering you give to resist temptation and to live out the holiness now that we have been declared. We pray for faithfulness on our part. We pray for a continuance to be steadfast even in the face of opposition or difficulty. And Lord, we know that there is difficulty in life. There are many in our circles that are facing that difficulty. Many in our own um, community of faith that are that are, that are being beat down physically and emotionally and spiritually. And God, we pray for them. We pray that your hand will be upon each need as you are the perfect physician, the perfect surgeon as you care for each of us. And Lord, we're thankful that you've not left us in the, wire, in the wiling of the mud, but you have called us out. You've cleaned us up. You've, you've washed us and you've changed us. So God, as we sit in this house, as we sit under your word, we pray that we would be continue to be made more and more, just as it has been declared in Scripture, that we would be continue to be more and more sanctified and holy and pure. Lord, I pray for my words that I would not say anything more nor less than you've given me to say, but that, Lord, I would be faithful to your word this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name and God's people said. There is no more of a discouraging word that one can hear or a phrase that one can hear than this, access denied, access denied. Maybe you're a person who often forgets your passwords. You have a password book, but you can never find it, and you always use a version of the same password, but you find yourself locked out again and again and again. You're locked out of your accounts, you're locked out of your devices, and you're locked out because you try again and again with wrong entries. It's frustrating. It's discouraging. And to be honest, it's defeating. Now imagine hearing those words, access denied, not in reference to earthly things, but on that last day standing before God. Access denied. Jesus put that phrase this way in Matthew 7 when he said, depart from me, I never knew you. Depart from me, I never knew you. These words are not about simple access to some bank account. No, these words are dealing with eternity. These words have the weight of eternal value. Our access is connected directly 
to our identity with Jesus Christ. This access is not regarding some future day of revelation. It actually is in light of everyday reality because of who in Jesus is and what he has done in our relationship with him, we have been declared to have access. Now, if someone does not have access and that access is denied, it's because they stand outside of Christ. But for all of those of us who stand in Christ, we have access. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, verse 19. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. We have confidence to enter to where? The holy sanctuary. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. Church, what you're going to notice from this text this morning, verses 19 to 25, is that we're finishing the doctrine section and we're moving into the exhortation and examples of the letter. What you're actually going to notice is that we are going to be seen to have access because of what Christ has done, and we're going to be told what that means for our lives. The simple key idea here is we have access through Jesus' sacrifice, so now let us live that out. Let us live that out. We begin in verses 19 through 21 with the focus of access granted. In verses 19 through 21, we summarize all that we've been taught so far. It summarizes the nine and a half chapters of doctrine that we have been reading in this letter. And yet two things jump off of this section. The first being that we are to have confidence. Look at what it says. We are to have confidence to access God through Christ's blood. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened up for us, through the curtain that is through his flesh, stresses confidence, access. Interesting enough that the writer begins this section with the phrase, brothers. I find that very important because if you remember, for the last nine and a half sections, we've been hearing how he's writing to people who are waffling in their faith. People that were wanting to run back to the old system, the shadows. They wanted the blood of bulls and goats. They wanted the old temple. They wanted the old priesthood. They continued to desire that, and he kept steering them back to what is better in Jesus Christ. What is astounding is he begins this section calling them brothers. There's an assurance there. See, those Hebrew Christians have been waffling, but if we're honest, so do we. We waffle in our faith. We waffle in our trust of Christ. Some days more, some days less. But we waffle. And how reassuring is it for us to hear that the writer of Hebrews calls these waffling Christians brothers. See, church, we're reminded that it's not the amount of our faith, but the object of our faith that saves us. That's an important point. It's not how much faith we have, but it's the who of faith that saves us and secures us. 
And this is good news for each and every one of us who struggles daily in our walk with Jesus. And therefore, the writer can say, have confidence. Have confidence as you access God. And as he points out to where this confidence is, he points to the object of the faith in Jesus Christ. He actually uses the name Jesus. I think that's important. He doesn't refer to him as the Messiah or, or the promised one or Christ. He refers to him by the name of Jesus. And why this title? Because Jesus identifies him with his humanity. That God took on human flesh. That his blood was spilt so that he could be our sinless savior. And note what this Jesus provides. He provides a new and living way. This is in direct contrast to the old way, the old covenant, the temple, the sacrifices, the priesthood, that again and again required sacrifices compared to the new way of Jesus Christ once for all time. Sin is done away with. See, Jesus opens a new way. Jesus provides what we need. And the picture there is of a torn curtain. If you remember when Jesus was crucified, Matthew 27, verse 51, tells us that the curtain was torn from top to bottom. It was a picture of the fact that God was ripping apart what separates man from having access to his most holy place. And yet, according to our writer, we have access through his flesh, through Jesus who took on human flesh to be our representative and to go to the cross and die for our sin. His blood, therefore, covers us so that we can come with confidence. The writer gives a second reason. As he mentions in verse 21, that this is because he is our great high priest who's over the household of God. He mentions very clearly that the whole understanding is that we have a great high priest who's there present in heaven. Last week we learned that he's seated in the throne room of God because his work is complete. Unlike the other priests who are running around doing their jobs, Jesus' work is finished. And therefore, he is there in heaven representing us. He's our great high priest. And because of that, we're able to approach with confidence. See, our great high priest is present there on our behalf. And he is bidding us, come, enter, worship. Come near. I like what Dr. Rick Phillips points out. He says in just his, his own words, he says, the point of this is that the one who opened and secured the way for us into God's presence, he's there himself. He didn't open the way and walk away. He's there bidding us to come. He's there representing us. He's pleading on our behalf effectively for our acceptance. He's securing and he's sending to us the Holy Spirit who is, who's fitting us and empowering us to be right worshipers of God. He's doing everything that's necessary so that you can come with confidence 
to the holy place to have access with God. Church, don't miss this. The point is, the ground of our confidence is a sympathetic, loving high priest who serves as head of the church, who is your savior. But the question is, are you confident? Don't look at your neighbor. Ask yourself, am I confident about the access that has been granted through Jesus Christ? Do I pray boldly? Do I worship willingly? Do I sense God's near even in the midst of my trials and afflictions? That's the impact this truth has. You have confidence of the access you have to God. And what should this accent mean? This access should mean that it should be lived out. Church, in verses 22 through 25, the writer describes our living out in confidence this access. And notice he uses a repeated phrase in those verses. The phrase is, let us. He begins in verse 22 where he says, let us therefore draw near. Because we have access, because we can be confident, so do it. Draw near. Don't stand afar off. He actually says, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from every evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Notice the emphasis on the cleaning. The reason you should have confidence, the reason you should boldly draw near is you're clean. Not only is your body clean, but your conscience is clean. The writer has spent a long time developing that for us. The blood of bulls and goats could never wash the conscience, but Jesus Christ's blood washes us entirely clean. Do you know what this means? It means you are no longer identified by your sin. That's not who you are. We shouldn't walk around classifying ourselves as, as a stealing Christian or a hating Christian or a gossiping Christian. We should identify ourselves as a Christian. We've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And we are identified by that oneness with Jesus. And notice the use of the washing. It's the pure water, which is associated with the word in Ephesians chapter 5. Listen to the way it's written in Ephesians 5, verses 25 and 26. As it talks, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. We're purified by the word. The word points to the finished work of Jesus. The word applies the finished work of Jesus to our lives. As you read the Bible from the beginning to the end, yes, it declares your sin. It points out the things that we do wrong. But ultimately, it tells us where the satisfaction for that is. It's not in try harder, do more, be better. That's not where it's found. It's found in the finished work of Jesus. The Bible from beginning to end is about Christ. And so the word teaches us we've been washed. We've been cleansed. We've been made pure. And so let us draw near. Near with a true heart full of assurance of faith. 
with our hearts sprinkled clean from every evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And why has this happened? So that we could worship. And the holy priest calls us and says, come. Come with confidence. Worship. Friends, what's the chief end of man? But to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And now our hearts have been made clean We've been marked by faith. We're told to come with confidence. We're told to draw near to worship the Lord. The bottom line is that chief good. And it's been made possible for us to do this boldly. But it's not simply just about drawing near, is it? Drawing near in faith? No, it's also about holding fast in hope. Look what he says in verse 23, let us hold fast. Let us hold fast with the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And notice the interesting word there, confession. It doesn't mean acknowledging your sin, although that can be part of the, the truth of confession. Confession is actually a public doctrinal confession. It's the idea of the substance of your faith. It's the entirety of what you believe. And we're told here to hold fast. And what are we told to hold fast in? Our confession. Hold fast to our confession. Hold firm to what the Bible teaches of the truth of Christ and the gospel. That's why Paul writes in Galatians 1.8, he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Anything preached that is not the true gospel, may it be anathema, may it be judged by God. Scripture again and again reports the importance of this confession. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, Paul tells young Timothy to guard the deposit entrusted to him. In Jude chapter 3, we're told to contend for the faith. The idea is that the confession, the belief, the system of our understanding of all of who God is and all that he has done is something to hope in, to rest in, to be assured in. Professor F.F. Bruce, I think, says it most clearly when he says, our hope is based on the unfailing promises of God. Our hope is based upon the unfailing promises of God. Listen to what he says. He says, why should we not cherish it? Why should we not cherish the hope we've been given? And then he goes on to say, why should we not confess it boldly? Think about that for a moment. This confession, this hope that you have of who God is and all that he's declared, this confession is not simply to be held in private, but this confession is given to be a witness to the world through preaching, evangelism, missions. That's why he says, hold fast. Hold fast to the confession of our hope. He qualifies it by saying, don't waver. Why? There's a reason. 
He who promised is faithful. God will not let you down. I know in this very room there are people going through all kinds of things and some of you feel very alone. The promise of Scripture is you're not alone if you're in Christ. The promise is that He is there holding you up. The promise is that He is faithful. Finally, in verses 24 and 25, He offers us another application. He says, let us consider. Not only should we draw near, not only should we hold fast, he tells us to consider. He says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're not called to stand alone on the promises of God. We're called to the community, to the community of faith. And within this community of faith, this particular one that God has attached us to, we each have responsibilities. Our responsibilities all aren't out there. Our responsibility is to one another. Look what he says. We're called to stir one another up to love. Love is the key identifier of the Christian community. In Jesus' own words in John 13, he tells his disciples, they will know you by your love for one another. Notice the qualifier there, for one another. For the church, the community of faith that you belong. They will know your mind by your love for one another. We're called not just to love, but to stir one another up to good works. And church, let me be very clear about this. Good works aren't whatever you deem to be good. Good works are those works which God has determined through his word to be good. An example of this is the expression of the Ten Commandments. God has commanded, so we are to follow. We don't get to pick and choose what is good. But our job is to stir one another up to what is good. And these good works display our faith. These good works show us our faith. We're not saved by good works, but we're saved unto good works. And one of those good works is by not neglecting to meet together. Not making other things a priority but understanding that we have a responsibility to this church, to these people, to this family, to love, to stir one another up to good works, and to not neglect the assembling together. Why is that? We need each other. See, the gathering together for worship should be of the utmost importance because we need one another. If we learned that at any time, it was through COVID. When we gathered back together and we heard the singing, we realized how important it was to be next to brothers and sisters who were singing. To be back together in fellowship. To be back together to be steered by God's word as he directs. I think an important illustration of this is found in the trilogy, The Lord of the Rings. 
For those of you who maybe never heard of Lord of the Rings, I'm going to be shocked. But if you do exist, there's a hobbit by the name of Frodo Baggins. It's an odd name, I know. I didn't write it. Frodo Baggins is traveling on a mission to a place called Modar. Probably said that wrong, and some of the people in the room are very angry right now. Forgive me. But understand that on this mission, his job is to destroy an evil ring. And here's the point. Frodo is never alone. Frodo is never alone. He has a fellowship beside him. That's how he's able to finish the task. There's one specific friend who never, ever leaves his side. His name is Samwise Gamgee. If you've never read it, read it. It's a powerful testimony to the importance of the bond of community. And see, that picture there is a picture of the Christian community. Many in the church historically have said, if God is your father, the church is your mother. The point is, we need the community of saints. And so I ask you to see this morning, this question's, how are you living out your access that's been granted to you? Are you drawing near in faith? Are you holding fast your, con- your confession of hope? Are you stirring one another up to love and to good works by not neglecting the fellowship? These are the points of the writer of Hebrews as he looks at the confidence we should have because of the access that's been granted. But one of the underlying truths to this whole section is the heart. See, the access that's been granted is expressed in our hearts. That's where it begins. The centrality of the heart is is there within these verses. It's expressed in the words faith and hope and love. We see it in verses 22 through 25. These mirror 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which says... According to Paul, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. Our faith is what brings us into relationship with God. It's pictured there as the idea of of what he does in us by gifting us faith as we acknowledge that relationship. And we're able to give expression through our confession and our worship. That faith builds our hope, which anchors us unshakably to the future of all the blessings that are found in Christ. And finally, Paul says that the greatest of these is love. We love God and we love our neighbor. But we love because he first loved us. See, in granting us this gift of a new heart, He grants us all these other blessings. But this was the promise long ago in the prophet Ezekiel regarding the new covenant. I said it last week, and I'll read it again. Ezekiel 36, verse 26, the promise was simple. It said, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone. I will give you a heart of flesh. Key to the new covenant is a new heart. A heart built upon faith and hope and love. 
See, the bottom line is simple. Jesus changes us completely. He changes us from the inside out. We're completely new people when we're truly washed in the blood of Jesus. That's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Hear this. The old has passed away. The new has come. Change. And church, hear this. Those who've been granted complete access in Christ should have confidence. So I ask you, what does your heart express? Does it express joy or fear with the idea of drawing near God? Because your heart says a lot about where you really stand. Are you joyful? Are you nervous about praying? Are you joyful? Are you nervous about sitting under the word? Are you joyful? Are you nervous about loving others? Access is ours in Christ. Access is ours because of his perfection. Access is ours because of his blood. Access is ours because he continues to make intercession on our behalf, calling us to draw near. The question is this, what are we doing with that access? The writer of Hebrews tells us what we should do. He says, let us draw near. Let us draw near with true hearts of faith. Let us hold fast. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works. Brothers and sisters, hear this. Our access has not been denied. No, our access has been granted in Christ. My prayer is that we would seek to worship him with all that we have. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would take this message of access and confidence and living out that access in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would take that and apply it to us. Don't let us leave this place not hearing you. Convict us, mold us, change us. God, help us to draw near with confidence. Help us to stand firm in our confession. Help us, Lord, to stir one another up to love and good works. And God, convict us not to neglect the assembling together because we need each other. God, I pray that we would honor you we would love you, and we would glorify you. Pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.com.